I'm Ron. Welcome back to the Dad's Beer Club podcast. Tonight, joined all the way, well, good morning, in the morning, <laughs> joined all the way from Australia. Luke, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, no, good. Well, thanks for getting up. <laughs> uh, look, Luke, one of the things we, we always do on Dad's Beer Club is just check what the, the beer is for the for the evening. But seeing as though it's 6am, um, it's 6am, isn't it? Yes, mate, it's 6am. I think it's a little bit early for beer. I'll stick to my good old English breakfast. Yeah, season, and I've, I've gone for the tea as well this evening, so I'm... I'm on the, the Earl Grey, if anyone cares to know. <laughs> the Earl Grey, never been a fan, never been a no? fan. No, no, just good old English breakfast, thank you. <laughs> Luke, um, look, let's dive straight back in. So one of the things we, we generally do at the start is just go back to the very beginning. What was life like for you growing up? What was your relationship like with your dad? What was your dad about? What, that sort of stuff. Yeah, all right, no problems. Um, I grew up in a small place in South Wales called Roos, which is near Cardiff. Um, my parents split up when I was young and I lived with my mum, so I was never really too close to my dad. Um, but I did go to visit him every weekend and, you know, he always took me away on holidays and it wasn't, it wasn't a bad relationship. We just were never really close because I lived with my mum. Um, unfortunately, just before my 18th birthday, though, my mum passed away. So I moved in with my dad. A little bit of a difficult time, I guess, you know, being an 18-year-old who just lost his mum. A bit rebellious towards my father, who I never really had a close relationship with. Um, we kind of struggled for a few years, I guess, while I rebelled and did what I wanted to do because nobody told me what to do. My mum was gone. As yeah. far as horrible as that sounds, <clears throat> he was a very patient man and very understanding. He was very laid back and kind of let me just do my thing, but he wasn't very emotional and he was always someone that I struggled to open up with and connect with. And once I was kind of financially stable-ish, if you will, I decided that I didn't want to stick around in Wales. The memories were too tough and I wanted to go off and do my own thing so I left and moved to a place called Milton Keynes in England just outside of London spent a bit of time there growing up if you will I just got a bar job which evolved into me managing the pub eventually and I just lived it up really just working behind the bar and playing around and doing my own thing and obviously moving away kind of opened my eyes to opportunities and I can move and do what I want to do and go away. So I just kept on going. And in 09, I ended up in Australia. I um, traveled around Asia for a little while and New Zealand. Um, lived in a bus in Australia for just over a year and traveled around. My partner and I, got together just before I came to Australia, actually, if I without skipping past that bit, sorry. I um, We met, got on really well, but I'd already had tickets booked. So I carried on my journey and we stayed in touch and her work opportunity came to Australia as well. So we kind of rekindled our relationship while we were here. And then... Bam, we had kids and it all just changed. There was no more traveling. There was no more party. Well, we still party. But um, 
yeah, my first boy, Jaden, came and we decided that, well, we decided to settle down once we kind of before that, but we decided that work and life and that was going to take priority now and we had a child to support. So Jaden was an accident, if you will. Um, okay. The best kind of accident, you know. I mean, I've, I'm sure you hear that a lot from fathers. But he's he's pretty cool. He's eight years old now, and I wouldn't change a day of it. He's been amazing. And he's got a little brother now, Harley Ray, who's, who's just about to turn four. And I'm settled on the central coast in Australia, doing pretty well, enjoying life, and the kids are healthy. Do you think um, you'll stay there, or is there a, ever a, a moment where you think you could come back? I would like an opportunity to go home maybe every summer, like your UK summer, yeah. and spend time at home. Um, I often used to joke, because I'm actually a bricklayer by trade, and I learned my trade with my brother, who's still bricklays in South Wales. And um, I often used to joke and say, I'll, I'll bring my tools home in the summer, and you bring your tools over here. And he was like, what, for the rest of the year when it's raining in Wales? Um, but that never that never turned into anything. But I'd like an opportunity to go home every year. But unfortunately, with COVID now, that's kind of yeah. out of the window. I haven't actually been back to the UK for maybe seven years now. It's been a wow. while. Yeah, just I've been after, quite lucky. Sorry. Just after, yeah, just after you had your, your first boy, that's the last time you went back. Yeah, I actually took him back to introduce him to my family when he was... I think he was eight months old from memory, maybe nine. We took him back and spent a bit of time there. And it was really nice, actually, because I was a different person. And the family were all like, oh, you've grown up and you're a dad. And, you know, it's not the same anymore. And I was like, no, it's not. I've been gone for ages. <laughs> I can't imagine what it'd be like if I saw him now. They'd be like, look at you, you're going bald, dude. Look at all those wrinkles. <laughs> Luke, growing up in the, the the small town, was it a small town or village or where? What was it? Um, it was pretty much Cardiff Airport. It was the the town full of rafts and okay. air hostesses. So it was really small. Population was oh, wouldn't have been much more than two thousand people. But obviously that grew over time. Um, yeah. Barry Island. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Kind of started. Kevin and Stacey. Yeah, mate, Gavin and Stacey, that's the one. And Nessa, don't forget Nessa. <laughs> that kind of started to expand and grow into Roos as well as I okay. sort of as I sort of started to leave, it was happening and you know, all the Barry boys were coming into the pubs and things like that. And I haven't really seen it for a long time, like I said. So I imagine the population's a lot bigger now. But yeah. because it was because it was purely just the, the airport and we had a, a, an RAF base nearby, you were either working at the airport or at the base, you know. So your parents were involved in aircraft somehow. And growing up there was pretty fun. There was always something going on, but no, you could never get away with anything. You know, you'd always... So, so you'd go in the shop... And they'd be like, how's your mum? How's your dad? Da, 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 da. You know, they knew your life story. Um, and it's great. In all honesty, now as a grown-up, I think that's quite undervalued. And I, I really yeah. appreciate that. 
But as a kid, when you you know you're trying to hide out with your mates and cause mischief, and you're like, everyone knows what we do. Like I get home from a night out. I say night out. This is like nine thirty, ten o'clock, and I've been down the park smoking with the boys, you know. <laughs> and I get in, and my parents are like so and so saw you down there, and you're in, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I know that. I mean, I mean, I'm from a, I say a small town, a place called Grantham, which is sounds a bit, you know, bigger than where you're from. But it was very much. I think growing up, the population was about twenty thousand, so it wasn't. It wasn't a huge town, but everyone seemed to know everybody. Everyone would know everybody's business, and like you say, um, you you try and do something, keep it quiet, and someone else is there to tell the story for you. So, yeah, I know that feeling. Right, it's pretty tough. Like it's um, it's a way you get good at hiding what you're doing. That's for sure. <laughs> it gets it gets harder when you start trying to like lots of girls when you get to eighteen, nineteen, and they're like, you can't go with him. <laughs> um, it's one of those things. It just word spreads. Mm. So uh, yeah, you're like, oh no, he's with so and so, and yeah, difficult. <laughs> you. You mentioned um, your parents split up quite when you were quite young. Was your dad still involved regularly, or was there was there still a good relationship with your dad? Um, yeah, my dad and I saw each other every weekend. He was a weekend parent, if you will. I yeah. would go there on a Saturday morning and go home on a Sunday night. So, I guess my social life was with my dad. You know, and yeah. that's where I hung out with all my friends and. When I was with mum, it was work, or sorry, school, um, homework, bed routines, that sort of stuff. So it was like the familiar home stuff. But then my dad picked me up and took me away and just let me kind of do my thing. And yeah. Because I never really knew them together. They broke up when I was three years old. <laughs> Believe it or not, I have like maybe three or four memories of them two together. Um, and then having them separated we lived so close to each other anyway so i would just go and see him on the weekends and hang out and the relationship was always fine if you will yeah. it was never great it was never bad like i said he was he was so laid back he was horizontal like i could just do whatever i wanted to do yes he would get have a go at me but he would always just talk to mum about it and then she'd have a go at me so why do you think the relationship changed at 18 obviously i know what, what happened with your mom but why did you think it became more fractured when you moved in with him full-time my own my own issues i guess it was never his response it was never his fault um i was in a difficult place and he was put in a very difficult situation having me move in at 18 yeah. um i was very fragile and I didn't respect him, I guess. That's horrible to say out loud, Jesus. Um, because he didn't have a much involvement in my upbringing. I was like, why do you now have a say all of a sudden? And it was difficult for him, I'm sure. Hmm. Never opened up and told me that. Like I said, he's pretty, he's not one for sharing his emotions. He's very quiet. He doesn't, he doesn't really communicate his feelings very well at all um and it was just a difficult time like you know i i was wanted to be out with my friends i wanted to be drinking i wanted to be meeting girls i wanted to forget life essentially yeah um 
and he was just like trying to hold on of him, you know, waiting for things to go wrong. But, you know, touch words, I, I never went too far. I never got in trouble with the police or anything like that. And my job was always stable. So I kind of stayed on a fairly <clears throat> tidy path. And he was respectful of that and just let me do my thing, I suppose, and always knew that he would be there if ever I really needed him, if that makes sense. Yeah, because 18 is a, is a tough age anyway, isn't it? That's an age where everything's changing. The world opens up to you. You can go out. I mean, well, we all probably go out a little bit before that, but you know, that's when you can actually go out. You're going to get a job. So the world is changing for us as, as young men. And then obviously to have that also happen at the same time, it must have been a really difficult for, for your dad to try and try and stage manage that if you will yeah for sure it would have been a hard time for him and to be honest we never really built the relationship in those couple of years it was more of a hey how are you doing yeah good thanks dad sweet yeah no worries you know i would have dinner on my own and i would go to bed wake up go to work come home go out yeah oh go to bed and it was like that for a couple of years and he was all he was always there to talk to if i needed to but like I said, he couldn't really talk about his emotions. My father and I, like, our relationship grew into something special when I became a dad myself. The yeah. first phone call I made when I come out of the hospital was to my dad, and I was like, oh, my God. If you feel how I feel right now about my kids, about <laughs> me, I'm so sorry. Like, I just said yeah. to him, I'm so sorry for, like, putting you through all that crap and you know, not involving you because right now I was just a marshmallow of emotion for my boy. And I was like, imagine my dad felt like this. Yeah. Imagine he did. Wow. And I had to tell him, you know, it was great. And honestly, like since then, I've tried to prod and poke him and get his emotions out and try and get him to open up to me. And he has a couple of times, but we've honestly, we've got the best relationship we had and we live on the other yeah. side of the world. But I talk to him more than anyone else back home now. Okay. Uh, brothers, I know you, meant, you mentioned earlier that you have a, a brother. Was it just the one brother that you have? Um, I've actually got one brother and two sisters, but okay. they're from broken marriages, if that makes sense. Like my yeah. mum's first, second, my dad's second. Um, my older brother is the... I, learned, I did my apprenticeship with him and grew up with him. He was five years older than me. So once I got to a certain age, he was kind of like, no, you're too little. <laughs> um, and then my mum had my sister. There was a 15-year gap between us. So okay. that was huge because she was pretty much a baby when mum passed away and I kind of took over her parenting essentially. Um and I've got another stepsister on my dad's side as well, who's a few years older than me, but she's just a crackhead. She's so funny. I love her to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so 18, moving to Milton Keynes. Um, did, you, did you, obviously, that's just a, quite a sizable family that you, you know, brothers and sisters, quite a few. My, my little boy is only going to grow up with one because I've been told categorically we're not having any more. <laughs> um, and you're done. Say that again, sorry. It's the one, and you're done. Are you? I, I, I would love more. I can't convince her to have any. So, 
Yes. Oh, there's ways. Uh, there's ways. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I need to. I need to find them because <laughs> everything I've tried so far just doesn't work. Um, I, I almost. I had to. You know, I had to, I had to strong arm her into one because she didn't even want one. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's quite funny. That is, isn't it? Like Sam and I always said, we weren't really going to have kids. We wanted to travel, and I've got now got two, and you're on the other foot. Where you're like, I want more and more, but nah. <laughs> well, that was that was that was what I was coming on to with the bigger family. Did you ever was kids something that you saw in your future, or was would, did you think that you'd did you think you'd have kids or not? And if you did, did you think you'd have a big family, small family? When I was younger, yeah, I thought I would have kids for sure. I wanted three. I was, yeah, I want two boys and a girl. You know, I was kind of, that was what I pictured my life being. But once I kind of became an adult and traveled and realized the freedom and the opportunities that were out there, I didn't think I was going to be a dad. I wanted, I was selfish, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah. my partner was very similar way inclined to that. She was wanted to travel and do as much as we could in the world. Um, and don't get me wrong. We did. We saw some beautiful parts of the world and we've been on some great adventures. And once we kind of found out we were pregnant with the first one, it was, a it was a big shock, but we were ready. You know, we'd been traveling for five years five years seven years um and we were we'd been together for a long time and it was it was never in doubt we were we were having a, fa- a kid and we were ha- we were going to start a family and you know there was a few conversations of oh but we won't be able to do this and we won't be able to do that and it didn't matter it was it was what we were chosen and we ended up planning the second one we were when we had Jaden, we were talking about having another one. And the plan was, I don't know if it's the same over there, but as bad, terrible as this is, daycare fees and all that are extortionate over here. There's like, it's not worth going to work. Um, so we decided that we couldn't, we couldn't budge. We couldn't budget for two in daycare. So we were like, right, as soon as Jaden was old enough to sort of start the movement into school, we were like, right, we'll have another one. Okay. And we went for it. We were like, we planned the second one. Yeah. Um, and we're getting close <laughs> to that time again now. And I'm like, are we going again? I want three. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, so it's not, so I'm in, I'm near Manchester. Um, and I've got quite a lot of clients that are London. So you imagine having kids in London. Some of the, some of the stories they tell me about their, their fees that they pay. I'm like, I know you don't like a, a ridiculous amount of money. How on earth do you afford to send your kids to day to day nursery? How much difference in London to Manchester is it? Yeah, so well, I guess it does depend where you're sending them to, right? But so for us, our boy goes for four days, and I think that's eight fifty a month. Wow, that's still quite a lot of money. Yeah. But the, the, in London, for three days, this guy was telling me it was fifteen hundred. Jesus, <laughs> bad. I mean, um, we paid like a hundred and ten dollars a day, which dollars is about it's a little bit more than half. 
So you're looking okay. at let's say sixty five, sixty pounds for the day. Yeah. And he and he goes three days a week. So it's quite a bit, but London sounds more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well everything costs more in London, doesn't it? It's I even even a bloody pine is extortionate. <laughs> No, although you're saying that, have you ever been to a pub in Australia? No, never been. Um, never been. Well, if you come in, bring your wallet. If you're going out drinking, I tell you, it's expensive to drink out here. Um, I miss going to the pub at home and just being able to buy a pint for like two fifty. What is it now? Yeah, three pounds, three fifty. Yeah, it depends where you go. Like if you, if you up where I live, if you go to one of the local pubs, a couple of quid, you can pick up a pint. Yeah. Oh, I used to enjoy the old, um, is it when it, because I remember when they started bringing out all the ice cold beers over there, you know, like Foster's ice cold and Carlsberg ice cold, and you'd go <laughs> to the bar and the, the taps were freezing cold. And two pound is a pint, you could go out and get drunk on a tenner. Yeah, I, I, when I first started going out, so how, how old are you, Luke? 35, I am. Yes, yeah, so, well, same, what, same as me? No, it's 36 on Monday. So, yeah, roughly the same age. So, um, I remember when I first started going out. So, sorry, what was that? This Monday, just gone. I lost you then. Are you, am I still here? Just gone, yeah. The the, the first of March. Yeah, the oh, sound just kept happy birthday. Happy then. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I think when we get to our age, we stop celebrating them, I think. <laughs> Albert, right? You still want to do something for yourself, but yeah. yeah. Especially when you have kids, you throw them big yeah. parties and you're Yeah, but it's hard as well now, even you know, where everybody's in lockdown. So Of course, yeah, of course. What's it like over there actually? Are you are you guys locked down or are you what's happening? Not no moment not at the moment. We're not in lockdown. No, we had one or two last year and we've been pretty lucky over here i think compared to some areas of the world we've got a couple of cases but nothing no numbers like you guys we've been out of lockdown and pretty much back to normal for a while now we have the odd outbreak where they're like oh so and so boy here and there's like five new cases so they just zone that area and lock that area down for a few days maybe five a week tops while they do all yeah. their track and tracing and then they just open it back up like we're not even wearing masks anymore. Like you're sanitizing everywhere you go. Don't get me wrong. And you've got all the safety screens up and that. But yeah, you can still go and sit in a pub and have a pint. The only thing that hasn't come back yet is um, like the large crowds. If like you can't go to a sporting game, you know, you, okay. you're all set separated and things like that. But I won't I dare say it won't be long and that'll be back because they've got the... Um, not sure if you know the NRL, which is like rugby yeah. league. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably the biggest sport in New South Wales that sort of has like a big fan base. Um, and that's kicking off real soon this season. It's usually the end of March. So I dare say they'll have stadiums back open by then. I think here it's so June the 21st, all restrictions gone. I think it's what they're saying. Um, but, um, I think from April they can have about ten thousand in the stadiums. So, yes, yeah, getting back to some sort of normality. Are you a football fan, like EPL? Yeah, yeah, Man United. 
And you're like, well, you're in Manchester. You didn't move to Manchester for that, though, did you? Do you know what I did? <laughs> so, Commitment. <laughs> do you know, I was um, so I was travelling and up from Grant. I'm from Gr- a place called Grantham in Lincolnshire originally, and I was travelling up most weekends, going to the games, which is like two and a half hours, doing a dead end job. So, like, I hated the job. I was out sort of five nights a week. And I woke up one morning and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need to get out of this town. Like, small town, right? So there's not a lot going on. No opportunities. But <clears throat> most of my friends either join the military or work in a factory. So they were my options. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't appeal to me. So it's, um, I, it's funny how you don't kind of have your eyes open to what career opportunities there are. I'm sorry, I cut you off then. Keep no, telling your story. Keep telling your story. <laughs> no, no, all it was, I remember on one Sunday, one of my friends, I was talking to him, he just finished uni in Manchester. And he's, he just he just moved out of halls into a, a house in Salford. And I was saying how much I hated it here and I wanted to get out. And he said, oh, I've got a spare room if you want it. So I went, oh, hang on a minute. I rang my boss and I went, I quit. And then I rang him back and I went, I'm moving tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no regrets. You have never looked back, right? No. Do you know what? It's funny. I, I, rem- I rem- remember the, f- so that was 15 years ago. So 15 years I've been up here. And I remember the first, one of the first weeks I was driving around Manchester. And I remember just thinking, do you know what? I could, I could have a family here. I like it here. This is like my place. And yeah, I've never looked back. Never looked back. Oh, that's cool. Manchester is quite a nice little city. I've actually got a really close friend over here who's from Manchester. She lives 20 minutes, an hour away from me. Hmm. And she's got a really strong Manc accent. So it's, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, but, it's, um, it, yeah, I it, was going to can... say, go on, go on, I'll stop, I'll stop. <laughs> no, I was gonna, all I was going to say was, yeah, the, the Manchester accent can be quite strong, can't it? Oh yeah, it's terrible. It's strong. It's not, I suppose it's a bit like the well, everyone's got an accent. It's funny how the UK's accents are so strong. Like an hour away, they change so much. Whereas in yeah. Australia, you're either a coastie and you live on the like the the outside of Australia, or you're a country folk and you're inside, and they all sound the same. And it the country's funny. huge. Well, I'm I'm so I'm over in in Cheshire at the minute. I'm probably twenty five minutes from Liverpool. And the accent 25 minutes away is just so different. It's so mad. Weird. I, I don't really get it. When I lived there, I never really noticed it. But now I'm like, I meet someone in the pub and I'm like, oh, you're from... And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm from Liverpool. I'm, I'm from Manchester. I'm from Newcastle. I'm from Southampton. And you're like, Jesus, it's this tiny little country. Yeah. Yet we all have these strong accents. North and South are so different. Yeah. In Australia, it's massive. But everyone sounds very, very similar. Yeah. Weird. But yeah, I was going to say, like, how weird is it? I know we got off track a bit there, but how weird is it watching the football with, like, an empty stadium and you can hear them actually talking to each other, like, man on, pass the ball, one, two. And you're like, oh, this is actually pretty good. But it's so, like, well, strange, isn't it? We've seen so many more of the coaches arguing, and you can now hear that what the coaches are saying, which I find hilarious. Then you know they're arguing with each other. 
<laughs> yeah, I know that's right. It's pretty. It's it's definitely opened up a different aspect of football, I suppose, because with the crowds, you can never hear it on TV, can you? And um, it's are you good. a football fan? Yeah, huge football fan. I'm. I'm actually being from Cardiff. We never really had any representatives in the Premier League, so. I rebelled against my father, who is a Manchester United fan and supported Newcastle. <laughs> back when I was back when I was growing up, they were a good team, you know. Alan Shearer, yeah, Les Ferdinands, yeah. we were dominating. Well, not I say dominating, never really, but um, yeah, it was. I guess it was a rebellious thing. I was like, I don't want to support Man United. You support Man United, and as soon as I kind of went my own way, <laughs> I went with Newcastle and. I've been oh, a Newcastle fan for about 25 years now. All my friends where I live are either... Actually, it's weird. So Grantham, so either Liverpool or United, that's pretty much all it is. But a lot of them support Norris because Nottingham is just literally down the road. And um, uh, for me, it was always... Uh, it was Cantona. Can I, I, when I, uh, around 90, you know, 92, 93 when he signed... I was just starting to play football out on the on the yard, and you know when people are like, "Oh, who do you want to be?" I'm like, "I'll be Cantona," <laughs> and that was why I ended up supporting United because I just loved Cantona. What a player he was as well, right? Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, now they were United were always good back then, and I used to follow them. It was only because I rebelled against my dad. I became a Newcastle fan. <laughs> That's funny, that is. And now we're doing terrible. But it's difficult with the football over here because it's, it's now, the football's always on first thing in the morning. I'm always watching it with a cup of tea and on my own in my pyjamas. It's not, not the same, same, is it? No. That's, that's, one, that's one thing I really struggle with. Like, as terrible as that sounds, I miss... Super Sundays at the pub with the boys, watching yeah. the good, watching the games, having a few beers. Um, Saturday night, I used to play football myself back home, and I miss coming back to the pub after the game on the weekends. Sorry, I've just been interrupted by my little man. Do you want to say good morning, Harley? No, he's shy. No. <laughs> I used to play football and go to the pub and watch the. Um, just I can't remember his name. He'd be like, and Scotland thought was two nil today again, and all the scores would come in. Yeah, um, and I used to love it. I used to love it, and unfortunately, I can't do that anymore. There's always a couple of times a year where it's it's normally a, a Saturday. There'll be an early kickoff, which is always like United City or one of the big games. There's a five o'clock kickoff, and then there might be like an AJ fight on at night. So you've just got the whole day in the pub, and those those days are just. That's what I miss Not at the minute because obviously we can't do it. But can you? No, that's true. I shouldn't win tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot longer for me though. I haven't been. Last time I was home, actually, why we mentioned earlier when I took Jaden back, um, I made a point of I'm going to the pub to watch football. I didn't even care what the fixture was. I think it was like Arsenal Leicester or something like that on a Sunday. But I was, I was going. It didn't matter. <laughs> um, so you mentioned um your first your first boy was an accident so talk to us about that how did you find how did you find out 
Oh, it's actually quite a funny story, really, because my um, my partner, she's a gymnast and she was invited to Cirque du Soleil in South Africa, South Africa, in America, in Las Vegas. And she went over there for two to three weeks and I was at home on my own. And then she came back and let's just say we missed each other. <laughs> and then about two weeks later, I think it wasn't even that long. It was about a week later. After she got back, I came home from work to not one, but three positive pregnancy tests on the table in the lounge room. And I was like, what are these? Are they what I think they are? Um, and she was like, yeah. I was like, wow, how did that happen? Because my partner, she was on contraception. Right. Um, and I was like, "That that's not right. That's, is that you? What? How does that work? Um, but she was actually, when she came back from the States... <laughs> She was actually feeling unwell. She um, had a few different symptoms like fluey things. And I was none the wiser to this. This is a tip for all you guys out there. If your missus is on antibiotics, it counteracts the bloody pill. Um, so, yeah, it was. It just happened like that. Like She was away. She came back. Passions were high for a few days. And we rekindled our relationship, if you will. <laughs> Um, and then, bam, a week later, she was pregnant, and we found out the doctor said, yeah, they don't work if you're on antibiotics, love. So, um, yeah, we had Jason, and it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Was, he's, he's cool. Was there any um, fear or, of, of what's going to happen? Or would you, I think you said early it was an accident, but you were ready, ready for it. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I always pictured myself as a family man with three kids and stuff like that, but I was kind of tainted by the desires of life and living this on my own, traveling sort of thing. But once I kind of had the realization that that wasn't going to happen for me anymore and I was going to be a dad and I was going to settle down, I got really excited. I was like, I'm going to be good at this. As horrible as that sounds and maybe a little bit big-headed, but... When my mum passed away, I had a, a really young sister who I did a lot of her upbringing and raising. You know, I did all the nappies. I did all the nighttime routines. And, you know, I was very much part of her life growing up. And I had those skills already. Um, yeah. I was always meant to be a dad. I know that sounds a bit strange. But whenever I was with my family, aunties and uncles and that, I was always with the little, little kids, you know, and I'd be playing with them. And then when my sister was around, it was just her. Like I was, I wouldn't say as far as a father figure because she does have a dad, but he was um, a radiographer who worked away quite a bit. Um, so it was just the two of us in the house after mum passed for a while. And yeah. that was quite testing. And I had to be a parent and <laughs> and the 17-year-old boy at the same time. Um, so that kind of made me prepared, if you will, for when I had Jaden. I knew what I was in for already, um, and I was excited about it. And when I found out it was a boy as well, I was like, "Yes, come on!" I was, go was going to ask that: <laughs> Did, Were you were you one of those mental parents that waits until the day, or did you find out? Thought you were No, well, let's. The way I saw it, you get the surprise right then and there when they're born yeah. or you get the surprise when you go for the scan it's just a few months earlier and i didn't want to be 
disappointed that it was a girl when I first met the baby. I didn't want to go, yeah. oh, it's a girl? You know, I wanted to know straight away because that would be horrible when it, oh, yeah, oh. I want as a boy. I didn't want that. I didn't want that feeling. So I was like, "No, let's find out." And yeah, yeah, we, we were. It was quite evident we were having a boy, and he's, um, <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny. He's he's out there now. I've woke him up. I have talking. So Mum's probably in bed going, "Why is he so loud?" <laughs> Any was the, the 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 whole nine months pretty plain sailing, or were there any issues going through? Um, pretty good most of the way. Uh, my, like I mentioned, my missus was a gymnast, so she was very athletic and in quite good shape anyways. But so we made sure to do a lot of exercise. I think she was even doing walking around seven, eight months from memory. You okay. know, she was quite active. She actually got hit with, have you heard of pup? No. It was, uh, it's almost like chicken pox, but, um, it's it's a hormone that's released in women when it's their first born and it's a son. It's kind of like their body's way of fighting the male hormone that's okay. that's growing inside of them essentially. And she almost had this like chicken pox kind of thing all over her, and it was really uncomfortable for the last few weeks. They actually almost induced her because it was getting that bad. We were having like oat baths and proper lathering up in all this cream and it was quite fun for me it was quite funny <laughs> imagine how she felt it was pretty uncomfortable but the end was tough the end was really tough she went full term and then she went another 12 days i think they let you go wow. um so he was well and truly baked and ready um so they ended up inducing her because she just wasn't going into natural labor and the whole labor process was a bit difficult is the best word i suppose it was it just went for as long as it possibly could until they took the next step and then as long as it could until they took the next step like she never i don't think her body wanted to go into natural childbirth so she ended up having a cesarean okay. um after 24 30 hours in labor wow so and yeah it was difficult because we didn't have any family there or anything it was just the two of us and obviously the staff were all great but the midwife that we had through the whole pregnancy was there let's induce you today sam you're gonna have your baby and then 24 hours later she's like i can't stay i gotta go home i'm shattered this is so and so. So my missus is like, "You're leaving? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm going into labour." So uh, it was quite difficult. Um, and yeah, she ended up having the seizure, but a blessing in its own. This is terrible, but it's amazing at the same time. My partner, because she had a cesarean, she had to stay in intensive care for the first couple of hours of Jaden's birth. So yeah. they pretty much went, "Here you go, Daddy." And I had him like skin to yeah. skin. I was giving him breast milk in a syringe, you know, and I just got this bonding moment with him. And you can't pay for that shit, mate. It was no. amazing. Like, I'm sorry I swore, but no, no, it was a, it was amazing. Like having that with him. And I, I, I don't know. I can't put it into words the way I felt. It was it's so. It's hard, isn't it? And it's hard to it's hard to describe that feeling. And I think you said 
uh, earlier that you, when you realise how much you loved your son, you realise how much your dad must have like loved you. And I, you know, I've got I've got a friend who doesn't have kids. He's the same age as us. He probably never will have kids. And actually, I hope he doesn't because he won't be a good dad. <laughs> but he's, I remember, so I go out of him every now and again with my, well, obviously at the minute I don't because we're in lockdown. But before that, um, we'd go out for lunch on a Saturday. I'd meet him. He'd, I'd take my little boy. And I remember one day he, <laughs> we were sat in this restaurant. Like, I'm obviously feeding Leo, trying to eat my dinner. As, you know what it's like. It's difficult. And he, he goes to me, like, do you love him? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, but why? Like, like, what's he done? Like, why did you love him? And I was like, he just can't compute how you could just love somebody instantly. He just, he just doesn't get it. Yeah, I suppose when you put it like that, like if it does, it happens instantaneously, doesn't it? Really? I mean, you yeah. know it's coming, and you start building this relationship within yourself for this being that's growing, but. Once they're there, they're saying you love them more than anything. You I, I remember, I remember having him sat on my lap, um, you know, first few weeks, and I'd like just be looking at him, and I'd be like, I'd say it in my head. Or sometimes I'd say it out loud. I'd just go, "I fucking love you," like, I'd fuck, like, <laughs> like for no reason. But you're just looking at this little boy, and you're just like, I "Fucking love you, mate." Yeah, it's it's quite unreal, isn't it? Really? Yeah. What do you say? Yours is three now, though, yeah, Leo? It's yeah. three in May. Yeah, it's three in May. It's, um, it gets challenging as they get a bit older, don't get me wrong, but you have those moments where you're like, <laughs> you really love that child. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's um, he has all my mannerisms, and he's he's dead cheeky. So he'll be cheeky, and he'll pull a face that like, I would pull or I used to pull. I'd be like, that's me. Like, how can I be mad at him? Like, it's, it's just, it's like just a reflection of yourself. Yeah, they're really <laughs> clever. They know exactly what to do and what buttons to press. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of karma, isn't it? Like, you know, you used to be this little person that used to be that annoying to your own parents, and now it's your turn. Yeah. <laughs> and you, so, second one was planned. Um, four, four years apart, I think you said. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. by the time he was born, it was about four and a half. But um, yeah, the second one was planned. We kind of decided that we wanted to have another one and we went for it with Harley and we conceived quite quickly. We were very lucky. I, I felt a bit bad for some of my friends who were trying for ages. Yeah. And I was like, yep, yeah, okay, job done. Bit disappointed. <laughs> I was like, oh, back to bloody contraception. As horrible as that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he came, he was another caesarean, but the the labor was pretty good, all well and dandy, no problems, not even the pup yeah. this time, Sam did really well. In fact, she's pretty great when she was pregnant because she was so active. The kids did so well. The kids, like, they came out fantastically healthy. She did such a great job. Um how did um, how did life change on, for her? Because she's obviously the role, the, the job they talk about she was doing as a as a gymnast, and especially in like Cirque du Soleil, like life. I, I imagine for her is completely different after kids. Yeah, it is. It's completely different. She wasn't actually in Cirque. She um, 
she competed and they wanted okay. to try and get her into okay. Cirque. So it was like an invitation thing. Um, but she actually does a lot of the coaching manuals and programs and she runs an app where the coaches communicate with the athletes now. Okay. So she's quite fortunate she works from home. The biggest change for Sam would have been the competition and the traveling because she was, I think, 12 years old when she went to her first competition in South Africa. And that was her life, travel to this comp, yeah. go to this gym and train, travel to that comp. And um, and then she kind of retired and traveled with me for all this time. She, she, she struggles to be grounded, does Samantha. Um, but she's fantastic with the kids. She just wants to show them what the world is about. She doesn't like buying them things. She likes buying them experience, if that makes sense. She's like, don't spend money on plastic crap. Let's go and do something with them that they'll remember. So I love she that way my of wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should teach her a thing or two about not spending money. Bloody hell. Uh, oh, mate, she spends money. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> she just, she knows the value of yeah. experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. So my kids definitely appreciate that. And they're, they're growing into pretty cool kids at the moment because of that. Um, and she's very fortunate. She's even before COVID was working from home anyway. She used to go to the office or a gym maybe once or twice a week for a few hours, but predominantly there's her office right there. I know right. the guys listening can't see that, but you can. <laughs> yeah. And she yeah. just works from home writing coaching programs and stuff. So, yeah, it would have changed a lot for her with the traveling and the opportunity. Yeah. So look, we we connected. Uh, well, our two Instagram pages connected. So on my uh, nobody cares about that, and you're becoming men page. That's how we first okay, yeah. came across each other. Um, obviously, you know what you what you're doing and the, the, the some of the pictures that you post like, on the beach and that I'm very envious of. I must admit, <laughs> lifestyle over here. Don't get me wrong. I like winding up the boys back home. <laughs> yeah. so look t talk to us about becoming men how did how did that start like where do you where is it going like just give us a little bit about what what you're planning to do with it yeah no worries thank you for that um yeah becoming men is at the moment just connecting with people like yourself trying to share stories and talk to each other and get some information and knowledge and skills and just connecting with people really it started as a way of showing my journey with my children to the world. Essentially, I had my own social media and I kept filling it with pictures of my kids. And I know some of my mates back home who didn't have kids were like, oh, what's he showing me this for, you know? Yeah. So um, I started something for the kids, not really knowing what it was gonna be, just another social media page really. And then um, I went on a bit of a personal development journey myself with things that happens in my own life and I did a few Tony Robbins things and Jay Shetty and read a lot of different types of books and ended up sharing my knowledge and experience with other people who came to realize that I'd help those people better themselves and I'd help these people achieve this goal and I was like oh this is actually pretty cool I kind of like this so I might try and do something with it. 
So I went and did a course and I'm now what they call a life coach who specializes in new dads. I try and help fathers on the journey who are, oh my God, I'm going to be a dad. What do I do next? You know, it's not as daunting as it may seem. It's a lot. There's a lot of opportunity out there to connect with guys and get stories together. So I built fathers groups. I built a bit of networking where I get together with a few guys on the weekends. Not every weekend. I wouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, but, you know, we just play football or we have a barbecue and we just talk about things that are going on. I'm sure there's dad's groups and stuff like that in the UK as well. A lot of it is online. Um, the Becoming Men is my brand that I guess I grew for my kids and it's turned into a way of connecting and sharing and helping dads. Um, and I love it. It's become a part-time job now. I've actually given up the tools because I, I think I mentioned I was a bricklayer by trade. Yeah. I've given up the tools now and I coach new dads and I run seminars and I've even started doing meditations and yogas and things like that as well. And it's kind of, passion rather than a career i do it for the reward of the experience and the connection rather than the money um yeah. which my missus doesn't like as much she gives me a hard time because <laughs> i don't earn as much money as i used to but it's not about that anymore i kind of came to the realization that i work my ass off bricklaying i work my ass off to become a construction manager i was running big projects and i wasn't happy I wasn't happy. I, as, as horrible as that is, I live in Australia. I've got two great kids. I've got so many good things going for me, but I just wasn't happy. I never yeah. got fulfillment in my job, and that's when the personal development started, and that's the path that this has come on to. And I guess the Becoming Men page for the kids started before all of this and just grew alongside it, and eventually it was like a light bulb. I was like, why am I not helping dads? Yeah. Like I'm helping tradesmen out there who've got drinking problems and guys who just, I, I'm sure you've heard this saying, oh, how are you? Yeah, living the life, mate, living the dream. You know, like I, I've had conversations and connections like that through uh, unions and construction sites and things. And I always felt amazing when people would come to me a few weeks later and be like, do you know what, Luke, I did that. And I implemented that change that you told me to make. And, I've really grown or I've, I've, it's definitely helped. Thank you. And <clears throat> it was so rewarding having that. I think I even got really upset one time when someone told me that they, they now believe that they, they do, they can do better. They believe in themselves again. And it was, it was because of me that they felt that way. And I was like, do you know what? I really have to do some of this. Like it yeah. feels amazing. Like it's so gratitude, so much gratitude from myself for, for that. I didn't really care too much about the money. I just wanted to do it. So Becoming Men was like, why do I not turn that into this? Because it's, I don't know if you've done any personal development stuff yourself or been on any bloody UPWs or things like that. But if you can find what you love in life and make it your job, it's not a job. You yeah. do it. You wake up every day and you're like, yeah, sweet. I'm meeting this dad today. I know what's going on in his life. I know there's a few things and I might sit down for an hour or two with him. And, you know, and then in the afternoon, I'll jump on a Zoom call like this. And I've got a few different dads and we'll talk for ages, you know. And yeah, I just I just love being able to connect to everyone. 
it's very rewarding and i get to be with my kids all the time because i'm i saw about them you know i get to yeah. share photos and stories and <clears throat> what more could you want what more could you want it's um yeah. it's definitely like i said it's got legs of its own and it's just going and it's going what happens with it in the future who knows who knows but right now it's a platform for men to share and connect, I suppose, about their kids and their problems. Obviously, zeroed in on the dad. So you zeroed in from what you was doing on the dad, the dad side. Was there a? Was there ever a? Because for me over here, the reason I started doing it was because I didn't really see a lot of help for men. Was that? Sorry. Is, is that was that similar over there? Did you, did you feel like there wasn't a lot of support? um nationally or you know stigma of, of men talking was is that a similar thing over there that you were seeing well it is it is unfortunately i think as men we're very closed off to our emotions and we definitely don't like sharing them once those walls come down though we are marshmallows inside yeah. you know yeah. we're all we all have feelings and we all have emotions but we we've, we've just grown up thinking it's right to hide them and just keep going, you know, it's fine. Um, as regards the support for fathers, being in Australia and having my son on my own, like my father was in the UK and I didn't have a family around me. Yeah. I really struggled because I didn't have that support. So I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of podcast, like listening to podcasts and I got a lot of my knowledge from the world. Like, oh, what yeah. do I do about this? You know, oh, I'm struggling with this. I, my kid's not sleeping. I, and I wouldn't pick up the phone and ring my dad because, like I said, he doesn't, he's not someone that can talk about his emotions. He'd probably say, I can't remember. That was years ago. <laughs> um, so I just did a lot of research and I filled my bank with knowledge and experience growing up. Sorry, not my kid growing up and, it was it was it was fate it was meant to be you know my path gave me that way and i love helping dads now because i'm not saying i'm an amazing dad or anything like that don't get me wrong I'm not blowing my own horn here i've been through shit and i still fight with my kids all the time but just having that experience of doing it on my own and it working i know that sounds terrible but he's a pretty good kid um yeah. I want to help people in that situation as well. And I've always been quite a sensitive person. I'm not scared to talk about my feelings. And I try and get that out of men as well. Like try yeah. and get them to share. Um, unfortunately, the, 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 um, the male suicide rate in Australia is ridiculous because we just keep our feelings to ourselves and we don't share. So I do quite a lot of charity work for like men's mental health beyond blue and things yeah. like that, just to give you that safe space, you know, where you can cry if you want to, or whinge about your partner or whatever you need to do, because there's not enough of it out there. I do think it is that there has been a shift. It is changing. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. You notice it now. There's a lot more support groups on there. There's a lot of, um, men's health if you will online who are running webinars where they talk about stuff and it's great it, i don't see them as competitors i don't see them as someone no. that's trying to steal business off me i'm like good for you I, i'll jump in you know i yeah. want to know i want to share and i want to 
I want to add value to it as well. So the more, the better. And the sooner we sort of open up to it all, I think you'll see those rates drop significantly and relationships will become better with kids. I mean, I've, I've got written down, like, you know, my mission is to help dads help their kids in the next generation. So it's like a, a puzzle, essentially. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully they, your eyes are open, Leo's eyes will be open, and, and then he'll teach his kids that from straight away. And we'll never have this stigma of, I'm a man, I must be solid. Yeah. I, I, I think we're definitely changing. I think it's, it's becoming more acceptable to be emotional or emotionally vulnerable, I think is probably the right way um, to put that. Because I, 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 do you know what? A lot of people here will say, oh, you know, it's a it's a British thing, that British upper lip, stiff upper lip, you know, but it's it's really not. It, you know, I, I'm speaking to um I've got another guy coming on, on on Saturday morning for me and who's in Melbourne, another Australian chap. Um I speak to people in America and everybody has the same problem. It's not a British thing and it's not this in this stiff upper lip. That's just nonsense. It's just it is a man thing. Wherever wherever you are in the world, we're all the same. We all have the same problems, the same issues, and the same issues with opening and up and, and being forthcoming with how we actually feel. Yeah, that's right. It is. It's worldwide. It's just a male thing, you know. I don't think it's the UK thing or anything like that. It is. It's definitely a male thing where we just – I don't know if it's part of the way that we were raised, you know. Like our generation was a lot tougher than my kids now, you know. And yeah. I think when you're grown up around that environment where your dad was either in work or at the pub, you know, it was <laughs> never really – never really had that connection – with my dad that I've got with my kids, you know, and I want people, I say I want people, that's terrible. I just want to help open people's eyes to that, you know, and if you can break down those walls and get that relationship with your kids, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. I think our, our generation, we grew, I think we've grown up in that, in that time where you, like you say, you, you, your dad, and I'm, I'm not talking from personal experience here because my dad was never around, but just looking at friends and, and how their relationships were with their dads, I think we've all grown up and looked at how our relationship was with our dads and we think, actually, we need to be better. We want to be better. We want our kids to have a better relationship. So then we sort of project what we didn't have and, and we bring that into our own relationships. And then I think, like you say, it gets better and better and better as time goes on. But... I think society has definitely changed in those 20 years to allow us to be more soft. And yeah, it has because we've got, we haven't got that big stigmata around us of, oh, you know, you have to go to work and provide for your family. Your women yeah. will look after your children. Yeah. The women are like, no, fuck you. I'm going to work. <laughs> I want this. I think that's what sort of started it maybe originally, yeah. you know, the women wanted to stand up for themselves and now 100%. the men are like, Oh well, I want to be a bit feminine because we've all got macho and feminine in us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess maybe they've had their turn of I want to be dominant, and now we're like, well, we want to be needy. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree. But no, it's good. It's good that we are waking up to it. 
and the support that's out there is fantastic. You just got to be brave enough to go and look for it. I find yeah. a lot of people, that's the problem. They're like, I don't want to go looking for help. Yeah. My, um, my big issue here is, so I've, I've, had, I've, I've had a bit of a rant on one of the videos that I put on Facebook last week where, you know, I was being told about <clears throat> a former soldier who actually went and asked for <clears throat> went to the GP and asked for help, said he needs help. I feel suicidal. I'm going to kill myself. And they turned him away that day. They said, there's nothing we can do. We can't help you. And that day he went and killed himself. And I Shit. just hear so many stories about men Such who who do actually find the courage to go and ask for help. And that help just isn't there. And I think that's where we have to do more. Yeah, he should definitely have been given an opportunity there for sure. Um, and I think is is that practice now closed? <laughs> um, it's not. I don't know if a GP, like personally, they just kind of put you through the motions, don't they? Yep, I'll get you in to see someone. I think as men, you don't really need to sit down at a desk and speak to somebody that's writing notes about you. And, you know, I think we struggle with that. I think it's more that it's amazing how much it makes you feel better just sitting with a mate, having a beer and talking. Yeah. You know, I don't, I think that's the trouble, like part of the issue is we don't want to go to the doctor. We don't want to sit down and take notes and discuss our feelings. We want it just to happen naturally where yeah. you're in an environment where you're talking and before you know it, you're like, dude, I remember when that happened. It was so sad, you know, and it just happens naturally. It's not something that you're forced into. Yeah. I think, I think that's what makes it different when you have the network and the community stuff where you can kind of build together the trust. Yeah. You know, I think having the doctor, I did, I did counseling myself when I was younger and it, it was all right. Like it definitely helped me in some ways, but my friend's support was way more valuable and way better for yeah. me. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing for men to have that network. A lot of the time we kind of, as we grow up, I don't know about yourself, but I've moved away from all my friends. My social is my family, my kids and my partner. I don't really have too many male friends where I go out anymore, you know? Especially yeah. with COVID, it made it even harder. But the value in sitting at the pub or a cafe, I keep saying pub, I don't have a drinking problem, I promise. <laughs> but just having that Typ Typical Brit abroad. <laughs> um, it's great to have that space. And I think if, yeah. you can, if you can find somewhere where you can share and be yourself and open up, it's, it's quite amazing what it can do for yourself. Yeah. So Luke, wrapping up, what are the um what are the hopes for the future? What what are you hoping to to achieve with the becoming dad? Any more kids? Maybe, maybe. I'm like you, I would say yes, but my partner says no. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the the becoming dad stuff, just keep keep at it, keep building that. Just gonna let it go wherever it's meant to go, mate. To be honest, I love what I do. I love helping and connecting with people. And if if that turns into a, a business that's very lucrative and I'm online and my face is out there for the world to see, great. If not, and I'm just helping dads down the pub, chatting, sharing stories, 
that's great as well. Yeah. Yeah. As long as my um my kids are happy and a roof over their head, I don't, I don't that's, mind. That's that's the main thing. That is all that's important. Yeah, that's right, mate. That's right. Well listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you to get on with your day. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Appreciate your time. They're all starting to get rowdy out there. This school drop off time soon here. They're all having breakfast out there. I can hear them. Um, thank you for having me. It's been fun no, no, chatting. For, for, it was good. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, no. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. And uh, listen, I'll post. I'll post a link to your socials on on the Facebook page. Um, so yeah, if you let me know what they all are after when we get offline, I'll I'll get them on there, and hopefully we can put some more people your way. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate that, mate. Um, it was great. It was good fun. Enjoy. It's probably late there now. You're probably going to bed soon. Yeah. So uh, half, enjoy your well, sleep. Half, half eight here, and it's. I'm doing a. <clears throat> I'm hosting a, a charity uh, war zone Call of Duty tournament tomorrow night. Oh, really? that sounds a bit interesting. Yeah. So, um, so you, you know, you were just going back in. I know I was wrapping up a second. We'll get back in a minute. Um, we were say you were saying that you know your social circle gets well, smaller and smaller as you get kids as you grow older. I found a lot of the boys are now on Call of Duty in the evening. So once the boy goes to bed, you've had your dinner. I'm online playing with the boys. Like and 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 to be completely honest, I am terrible at Call of Duty, <laughs> but I do it just just for the banter, just to, just for the laugh with the lads. Yeah, yeah. So we, no, so we, that's cool. So we, so we decided to we so this year I'm raising money for Calm, which is the campaign against living miserably. I don't know if you know you've heard of them or or you, you've come across them before. No, but their 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 sole aim is to, is to combat suicide. So that's what their what their the whole whole focus is. So that's what we're doing. We're raising money for them this year. So we we created a tournament which was uh, ten pound a head. Um, teams are free, and I think we've got. 26 teams registered for tomorrow night now so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's been all right we've raised a decent amount of money and hopefully we can uh we can all get on and have a, have a laugh tomorrow night <laughs> but but i suppose where i was going with that is i've got to go and practice now <laughs> all right yeah no that's cool well it's not that late happy come on we'd be no. going out back in the day now that's right that's pre-drinks yeah not no more though right once the kids are down you're like oh yeah pajamas i'm going to bed now (laughs) (laughs) oh well it was a pleasure connecting with you thanks for having me enjoy your uh gaming tomorrow hope it goes well i think that's fantastic what you've done there that must be i'm sure that money will go to good use yeah hopefully hopefully good cool listen good speaking to you luke thanks very much mate it's a pleasure no worries. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care.